We continue through our, uh, our Christian East series. We've had uh, many people submit things that they have questions about, either words that we use in the church or things that the Bible has said. But sometimes it comes around to things that, that have just been perpetuated within the Bible Belt. Uh, in fact, today we're going to touch on a phrase that you may have heard your mom say or your Sunday school teacher say or your good Christian buddy or friend say. And I got to tell you, they were wrong. And the phrase is this. Let me know. You've probably heard this phrase. It's, it's this phrase. God won't give you anything you can't handle. You've heard that, haven't you? Somebody submitted it. God won't give you anything you can't handle. And I got to tell you, that phrase is wrong. And I bring this one before you today to say this. Test everything you hear. Especially if it's coming from a Christian. Can you imagine if a doctor was going around spreading a lie? Maybe they didn't actually realize it, but they were, they were actually uh, causing more harm than good because they kept telling people something. Take this, take this, take this, but it was harmful. If you were another doctor friend, you'd go to that doctor and say, hey, we're, we're wrong in this. We've got to change this because we're causing problems in the community that we're actually here to protect. So we need to stop that phrase in the Christian community. We need to stop lots of Christian phrases that come, I think, out of a good heart, out of a hope to help a friend, but they're wrong. So the phrase, God won't give you anything you can't handle, is wrong. Is wrong. That phrase, when you hear it, it's usually coming from addressing one of two areas. Either somebody sees you in the midst of being in, in life's burdens, and they see you so burdened down, and they just say, they don't know what else to say. They say, God won't give you anything you can't handle. Or, or maybe it's that situation where you're being so tempted, and nobody's actually talking about the temptation. It's just, there's temptation. And so somebody says, God won't give you anything you can't handle. And when you're burdened and when you're under temptation and somebody comes to you, they're actually speaking to you a lie, a lie. And so they'll come and we're going to address a passage today, which is one of the ones that this phrase is supposed to have come from, but is actually being used out of context. We're going to address that this morning. I hope I didn't yet offend anybody. I kind of actually do hope I offended you. Uh, hey, don't talk about my mom like that. Well, I got to say your mom was wrong. Your mom was wrong, but we want to correct it so that if we do use a phrase, we're going to use it correctly. So please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 8. This is probably the verse or verses that people use when saying God won't give you something you can't handle, that they use these passages to reinforce that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says to the Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So I'll stop there. So people will say, God won't give you anything you can't handle. It says we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So you'll be able to do it. 
The problem is we have to broaden our reading in that way. And the way that we must change that phrase is to say, not that God won't give you anything you can't handle. We've got to change it because the scripture around this passage says this. God will give you things that he can't handle. Or let's say it again. God won't give you things that he can't handle. God won't give you things that he can't handle. See, the burden when your friend or your mom or your teacher came and said to you, God won't give anything to you that you can't handle. You can't handle it. We are incapable of human beings handling temptation on our own. Temptation is too strong. Sin is such a powerful force in your heart. It's not just because the environment around you is so wicked and evil. We can't just blame the bad parts of America. We just can't blame the the evil forces in the world. We have to look at our heart and understand that we are so weak in our flesh that we cannot handle temptation. We can't. And so when we tell one, well, just stop doing this, that, and the other. You can't. You name your hardest temptation, and then you try your darndest to handle that. You can't. When the pressure is put on you to handle your temptation, you will fail. And then when it comes to burdens, and I can see it even as I came in today. It's, today, it's a, as beautiful as it is, there's a lot of people that have had burdens going on. And you're tired. I can see it in your eyes. I can sense it in your spirit. And I don't know where that's coming from. Maybe somebody has harmed you. Maybe just circumstances have been piling up. Maybe something huge and drastic happened. It's just like a power. Maybe it's just the ongoing repetitious hardship, whatever that situation is. It's got you down and you're burdened. Let me, get, let me tell you something. You cannot handle that burden. It is too much for you. And so when we tell somebody, God won't give you something you can't handle, they're lying. You, you can't handle it. But God won't give you something that he can't handle. He can handle everything. He can handle your temptation and he can handle your burden. He is there for you. And so go back. Let's look at these verses again, but we got to go around the verses. We got to stop, start uh, before and after it to see the whole context, because look at this in verse seven. Second Corinthians, chapter four, verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? To God and not us. See, as Paul addresses the Corinthians, he says this. You're like an earthen vessel. You're like a jar of clay. Any of you have pottery in your home? Okay, any of you ever tried to go do a a hard, really tough job with pottery? It doesn't work, does it? It's just easily to crumble. It's it's fragile. That's what you are. You're fragile. And so he says, what we have, though, in our fragile beings is this treasure and that that power belongs to God. He is at work in you. His power. And so with that in mind, because we're jars of clay in which there is this treasure and this surpassing power belongs to God, not us. It says this. Yeah, we're afflicted on every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Why didn't those things happen? 
because the power of God was working in you, not because you were working in you. God's power was working in you. That's why you're not crushed. That's not why you're not overcome. And it goes on and even says this. He says, carrying in the body of death, uh, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here Paul goes into this and he reads a portion and some of that may have been like, I don't understand. But let me tell you the context. Paul is telling them that he himself and those who are ministering with him for the sake of the Corinthians have been going under a lot of persecution, shipwrecks, all kinds of trouble in order to help give them the gospel. And you would think if Paul, the apostle, is doing such a great work for God, then certainly Jesus would make it easier for him. And yet God did not remove those difficult circumstances from Paul. It was just that Paul, in the midst of those circumstances, I will be the powerful one for you. Though your outer body is wasting away, I'm on the inside of you, giving you what you need to be sustained for the sake of the Corinthians. Why? Because he says, these are light and momentary afflictions because this is an eternal thing. Right now, it's temporary, and these might go on for a little while, but what God is doing in this, he is causing eternal things to be the outcome. So the fact is that we cannot, of our own, handle the big problems. But God is so powerful, and he so wants to work in the midst of those, that he's going to use it to grow your faith in him that he'll care for you in the midst of those. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Um, we've been building this tree house. You've been here about the tree house. And, and one of my great helpers was my, uh, you know, six year old daughter, Naomi. And, uh, there's a lot of times dad's building, you know, big, huge beams. And I remember we were building the, the main beam structure for this tree house. It's going to hold hundreds of pounds and the lives of my children and their friends in this house. We got to get the, the, the foundation, right? Right. And so in our garage, we had, uh, the main support beam down and, and, um, I was there and I had borrowed this big time drill from from Mr. Tim. And uh, I mean, this thing had power. And so I was there and I, I had to get everything lined up right. You want the angles right. You got to get the, the bolts that are going to go in there right. And Naomi comes in the garage, my great helper. And she says, um, can I drill? I said, well, sure. Let's work on this together. So six-year-old Naomi with all of her gusto comes in and I put this big old drill into her hands. Now let me ask you, should I, should I have said, you know what? I won't give you a drill you can't handle. No, what had to happen in that moment? 
We needed to get the work done. She was participating in the work. And so there stood Naomi over the exact place. We got to get this right. This is a foundational issue that's going to hold literally lives in the balance. And to give over a powerful drill into the hands of a six-year-old would not have been prudent for me to say, honey, you handle it. I've given you all that, that powerful drill. We've plugged it in. I've drawn where the holes go. Go to it. No, what happens is you have one who can handle it and sits over the top and holds on to it and contains the power and says, put your hands here and watch. And together, Naomi and her father went down and drilled those holes. And you know what? That treehouse stands to this day. Probably, probably more because of her than me. But you know what I'm saying? When God says, you know what? Here's something foundational in your life you've got to take care of. It's a burden. It is hard. You're dealing with temptation. We've got this big time powerful drill called the Holy Spirit. And we're to handle that? No. It's like him coming around saying, now watch how I help you guide this into this situation. I'm helping you. I'm the one who can handle it. Let me handle it. Let me handle it. And so God wants to come into these situations because he can't handle it. But a lot of times people will say this. They say, God won't give you anything you can't handle. And really what they're saying is this. God's going to take that away. He's going to get you back to a place where you're comfortable. Now that is not, you cannot promise that. God did not promise that what you were going through is going to be removed so you can get back to your couch and your sweet tea as fast as you can. Okay? He, he might allow the thing that is torturing you to go on for quite a while because he's got to get through to you that you can't handle it. He may allow that situation to continue on in your life because he is trying to get through to you that you continue to try to take things in under your own power, under your own wisdom, in your own ways, because you want what you want, what you want. And he'll say, I'm going to continue this out until you give up. And that's good for us. That's good for us. As much as I don't like that in my flesh, it's good for us that God would have to drill it into Jason's head that I can't do this life on my own. He's got to get it through my head that he did not have me wake up this morning so I could go on and try to gain my own comforts. This isn't about Jason and his prosperity. This is not about Jason just living the life of the rich and famous. This isn't about Jason. This is not about Jason, period. This is about God. And the quicker he can get us to say, it's all about God doesn't mean that he's going to take those things away. It's that he's going to continue to cause us to get more mature and more mature and more mature in our faith. Let me give you an example of how this happened in a real time situation in in our family. And uh, this isn't just building tree houses. Now, this is legit. We we just celebrated Elijah's. Uh, 10 year birthday party. We had a, we have a 10 year old in our house. I mean, and if that doesn't help explain this sermon, you know, how God thinks we could handle raising children at all. I don't know, but we had a 10 year old born 10 years ago. And after he was born, you know, we, we wanted more kids. So, um, Katie got pregnant. And, um, so we were eagerly waiting the next child. 
And as expectant parents are, I mean, we were thrilled beyond belief, just making plans. And we get a little ways into this pregnancy, and uh, we're actually going off. We were headed out on uh, a small little getaway, just she and I. And we were going up to Vancouver, or uh, Victoria, B.C., which is where we had honeymooned, and it was just going to be a great time away. While we're in Victoria, things go wrong. And we have to come back, and we find out that we've lost this baby. As I celebrate a birthday of a 10-year-old, and now a 7- and a 6-year-old, and I, I, I keep thinking there's one missing. And we, we lost it. And there's, I mean, what do you say? There's, there's no place in the Bible where you really open up and say, this is why God allows miscarriages. This is why that person died in your life. This is why the circumstance went the way it does. There's not, just not a manual in here that says you got all the answers for it as to why God did what he did. And so we lost that baby. And the doctors try to give us stats to make it feel better. You know, one in three, it happens. How do you handle, how do you handle something like that? Well, I'll tell you how we tried to handle it. We had cable television. And we loved the Food Network and HGTV and Sports Center and anything that would come on. And we had a nice fluffy cozy couch and we could draw the shades on our windows and shut everybody out and we could sit there and we could watch tv and you know what we had a fridge about 30 feet away so when it was convenient we'd pause things and go over and get our favorite foods you know chocolate meat anything we sat in front of the tv and we attempted to comfort ourselves through something we couldn't handle And you know what God did by his grace? He said, I'm not going to allow that to happen. You know what he did? He sent a a pestilence. You know what that is? Bugs. And I've read about that in the Bible where he sent bugs against the nation of, of Egypt in different places. But what happened was because he loved us while we were in this place where we should have been grieving, but we were seeking solace in in television hosts and in hostess Twinkies, instead of saying, I I will let TV and food comfort you. He said, I will not let you comfort it because that is not handling. That That is not how you deal with life. And he literally sent us bugs. We ended up having a, an, an outbreak of not just lice, but rat lice in our house. Who gets rat lice? I'll tell you who. People God loves. And so we, we went from grieving for this lost child into suddenly having to deal with, with lice. And then after that came another event. It was just like we could not get through these months fast enough. And we asked the Lord, why? Why, Lord, when we just want to console ourselves on the couch, would you do these things? And he said this. I just need you to trust me. I need you to allow me to be your comfort. So if you're going to play comfort with your TV and your couch and your food, I'm not going to let it happen because that's not eternal. So I'm sending you bugs. 
And when you still try to comfort yourselves, I'm going to send you something else. And it was just one thing after another. Why? He had to get it into our hearts that we could not handle the burdens and the pains and the suffering and the, where it feels like things are going to crush you. We cannot handle it. Why? We are but jars of clay. And he has not promised to take the hard things out of our life. He's promised that when the hard things come, he will handle it. We have to let him be our power. A lot of times we'll ask the why questions, and that's often not a good question to ask God. Because we get stuck asking why. We should just say, Lord, I know who you are. Please, I need you right now. You know, I still have questions as to why that happened with us. But I have a seven-year-old answer over here who would not be here if we had had that other child. Now, I don't know all the whys about that first one, but, man, I love this guy. I can't imagine not having him in our family, you know? So, praise the Lord. That's all I can say is the Lord is handling it. He knows all that went on. He knows our hurt. He knows our despair. He knows how it feels like it's crushed. He knows how nobody can just come and give an answer. God won't give you anything you can't handle. It's not going to work for me. But God has said, I will handle it. Here's, here's Jude. Here's Naomi. She can help you drill. You know? God won't give you anything he can't handle. And he will take you through the ringer sometimes. Until you give up. That's what you have to do. Is When you give up and you just say, I can't handle it. That's about the best thing you could ever pray to God. I can't handle it. I know you can and I need your help right now. I can't handle it. So that's dealing with our burdens. I can't handle it. We flip to the other thing. People will say that if you're dealing with temptation. And I want to flip over to 1 Corinthians real quick. First Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is addressing with them the idolatry they have in their life, that they continue to play church and love God, but also love these other things in their lives. And Jesus will tell them later, hey, you can't eat from both the table of God and the table of demons. It just doesn't work, which makes us have to understand that anything that is not God and us worshiping him is really worshiping demons. It's really worshiping something that's not him, which is just demonic. Um, and so he's addressing this idolatry. And, and if we're to be honest with one another, uh, it's easy for us to look at the people who are suffering with the icky things in our culture and say, they're the ones who are idolatrous and they're the ones who are in temptation. But in reality, we all have temptation and it all leads us to demonic, idolatrous situations in our heart as, as pretty and cozy as you think that sin might be but we are tempted on all sides and so paul is addressing the corinthians saying there is you you just can't be in idolatry you can't be in idolatry and it says here in chapter 10 verse 12 it says therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall he's warning them be careful if you think you're strong enough to do this, and he says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. God didn't say he was going to allow a temptation to be taken away from you. He said that when temptation comes, he will provide a way of escape. What a great promise. When we're led like like sheep to the slaughter of temptation and we're just like, I can't do anything about it. I'll just give up. God says, no. If you think you can stand, you can't. And if you think you could just go on sinning, you can't. So there's got to be a way of escape. When, when you are tempted, I will give you a way of escape. It's just usually we don't like the way that he gives us. Temptation comes. We weigh our options. Probably, sadly, really quickly. And we, we just say, I, I can't do it. I guess I have to. It's right there. The way of escape is to flee to him. To go to God. The way of escape is to realize that when Jesus, who was allowed to be tempted, got allowed and led him by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, that when Satan himself, the greatest tempter of all time, came and tempted Jesus, Jesus also had a way of escape. And what was that escape? Three times when the temptation came, he went straight to Scripture. When's the last time when you were tempted, you quoted Scripture? People say, I I just, I give up and I give in. I just don't know what to do. Scripture. Go to the Lord. Go to his word. Go to his promises. Go to the things that he tells us over and over to be the things that we are actually like a sword to be defending ourselves. Now take that and you're saying, okay, it's scripture. Go to it. Well, I don't know any. And now we understand why we have Sunday school service where we're preaching Bible diggers, Wednesday night Bible studies. These aren't just routines. These aren't just things where we're like, well, I guess we got to study. This is God putting himself in a way of escape for something that might be coming later. God has said he is there to help you during that time. Well, if you're like, I get there and I don't know any scripture to say, have you actually made the opportunity to know scripture? Are you taking these times seriously? Now we have, we've got Sunday school. Use those times to be being equipped for what might be coming down the pike. Get into the word of God. If you're not learning the word of God and, you know, who knows what's going on in your Sunday school. And if it's equipping you well enough, then go grab somebody and say, will you sit in scripture with me? You know, one of the greatest elements of my life that keeps me from temptation. And keeps me grounded on scripture and my eyes on Jesus are the opportunities that I have with my wife to study scripture. I'm so thankful that she's like, buddy, get over here and get your face in the word. How easy would it be for her to say, well, he's got Sunday school and he's studying for for sermons. And he leads Bible diggers and he's going to be doing a revival. I guess he's got enough scripture. And she says, no, please come and put your nose in the word together. We're going to gird up our loins. Seek those times when you will be being prepared because you know that you can't handle that temptation. And I know right now many people are thinking all the perverted stuff of temptation and all. You know what? Those are all the big sins and you need to stay away from those temptations. I need to stay away from those temptations and giving into those things. But I'm not talking about the big ones. You know, the ones that will wear on you the most. The ones that all the other Christians are doing to you. 
the ones that just seem so little, how could it hurt? How could it hurt if I just am spending money if I got it? How could it hurt if I'm just talking about them a little bit? How could it hurt if I'm harassing my family, but I just call it, I'm joking? But the constant wounding we are doing of each other, it's sin. The way that we disrespect our spouses, it's sin. All the piddly things that we are wasting our time and our money on, it's sin, but we have okayed it because everybody else is doing it. And at least it's not as bad as the murderers or the sex offender or whoever might take the White House. At least it's not as bad as them. It's the little things. And those things snowball and they snowball and they snowball until we think, well, I haven't died yet. I guess God doesn't care if I do it. The question is, if it continues to snowball and we allow ourselves to go to temptation and then we allow ourselves to keep sinning and we never, ever put the brakes. God says in the Bible, if you continue to go on sinning and God comes to you and says, flee from that temptation. Here is my word. I'm giving you a way out. We continue to say, no, no, no. We go on, we go on, we go on. The question that we have to ask isn't whether you can stand up to it because you are a child of God. The question is, are you a child of God at all? If you know Jesus, you will not continue to sin. And when he comes and he confronts you, then stop. Now, I've got that problem just as much as you have. And we together have to say, the Lord has given us a way out in the midst of temptation. We have got to stop. We've got to stop. It's the little things ongoing that are going to crush you. It's not always the big things that are going to come, whether they be burdens or temptations. Yesterday, I was studying for the sermon. I was sitting outside in the backyard, and everything was going great. I was focused. I was, I was tuned in until, well, then darn North Carolina flies started just circling around. I mean, it was like, come on, you know. So there he'd land on my table, and I'm, whack, missed him. So he's flying around, and whack, missed him. I mean, with all my might and all my power, this little fly that kept, I was just, couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. So finally it sat down and I was just like, I just knew it was toying with me. And so I just slowly went towards him. You know what? The fly didn't move. And finally it just went down and I pressed him and killed him. It was the craziest thing. And I don't know if the Lord gave me that for an illustration or not, but I'm going to use it. It is, you know, a lot of times we just think it's the big things that are coming and they're going to whack and we see them come and we're like, okay, I can escape that. And, and you're undergoing a lot of burdens and huge things. They're just like, boom, somebody dies in your family. Boom. It looks like the big thing coming. You're able to escape. Everybody's helping you out. It's like, of course you go to the Lord in the big moments. It's when those little ones that you are like, it's so slow. And you're that fly. You're like, what is that? And then finally those things just end up killing you it's those little things slowly come in they're going to crush you God won't give you anything you can't handle it's a lie God won't give you anything 
he can't handle. He can handle it. He can handle it. And he's going to continue to drill that in our heads until we finally say, I get it now. You're everything. You are everything. You are everything. Let's pray. Father, we talk all the time about how you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Father, help us also to believe that you loved us so much that you continue to force us to realize that you're the center of everything. You're God and we are not. You are capable and we are not. You are strong and we are not. And so, Lord, we pray that whether we're dealing with burdens or with temptation or anything in life that's beyond our control, that we'll just trust you and know that that you will handle it. Lord, you do not guarantee that we will have a safe and easy life. But you have promised that in the midst of the struggles, even though we're persecuted, even though things are desiring to crush us, Lord, that you will help keep us from going to despair, that you will keep us from being destroyed, that you will keep us from losing faith. And so, Lord, we pray that in these things, while we may not have all the answers to why, that like Job, at the end of the day, we will just say that you're God and and you've got it. And we'll just trust you. Lord, like Paul, who at the end of the day said, "You're, you're God and I trust you. And like all the other people of faith that we speak of, they said they trust you and you've got it. And we pray that that would be us too. And so collectively we come at this moment and say we, we can't do it. But you can handle it. We pray for those things that people right now are wrestling with in their hearts, Lord, that are just crushing. Lord, I pray that they would, they would look to you, that, that this might be a situation for them to grow in their faith and their trust of you. Lord, we recognize, like with Paul, it wasn't necessarily for what the Lord was doing in his life, but what the Lord was doing through his life to affect the faith of others. Lord, we pray that our lives would be beacons where other people might be looking and saying, how is it that in the midst of all of that, they could still have joy? We pray that our faith, Lord, might affect the faith of others in a positive way. We thank you, Lord, for continuing to love us and that you do these things not because you have a grudge against us or, or, or anything, Lord. You, you are always operating out of love. And so help us, Lord, to love you back in full submission. We pray this in Jesus' name.